this week. Um, as you know, we are back in our talk in 1 Samuel, and so we will be um, continuing to walk down through that. And so today's sermon title is The Danger of Independence. The Danger of Independence. Now, when we hear that, that may not really make sense to us because most of us would say or think that dependence or codependence is what's dangerous. But what we actually are learning today is that it's actually our independence, our reliance on ourselves, which is actually dangerous for us. Now, all of us have probably known someone that we've grown up with or maybe we were best friends with someone or even related to someone who we spent a lot of time with, we grew up with them, we knew them well, and that person eventually became to us a stranger. Now, what we notice is that there is a gradual, slow change that happens in them. Sometimes that change is spurred by a major moment, a major life change. Sometimes it's spurred by them finding a mate, finding a spouse, or unexpected success, or simply They just change values. It can be hard, though, to pinpoint the moment. But over time, you just lose fellowship with some people. Maybe you've been the person who has changed over time, and you've actually left fellowship with someone you fellowship with before. Now, these chapters that we're going to read today concerning Saul will constantly show this dangerous and gradual life change that happens in him. We have already seen it last week when he tried to offer this sacrifice before God that he was not supposed to be offering because of his impatience. See, it was more than, though, just impatience, but it was also the sign that he was slowly becoming less and less dependent on God and more and more dependent on himself. Now, this text today is going to do a good job showing us the juxtaposition between the behavior of Saul's son, Jonathan, and Saul himself. Not only that, but we will see that self-reliance is not only detrimental to the individual, but it can be harmful even for those around them. And so we're going to look today, if you will, in your pew Bible, if you have it, we're going to look at 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 14, and we're going to start at the very first verse. 1 Samuel 14, starting at verse number 1. And it says, One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migra. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah and the son of of Adbub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, where in Ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the other side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozaz, and the name of the other was Sennet. Now the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, 
but for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if, we, if they say, Come to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you how you teach us so much from the word, Lord. Let us listen and hear and open our spiritual ears, open our eyes to hear what you have to say about independence and dependence on you, God. Let us know what is true, what is right, what is just in your eyes, not our own. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. And so recently in our home, a few years ago, we bought a fire pit. And I just figured, you know, you get a house with a nice deck. One of the things you need to add beneath it is a nice fire pit. And obviously, you know, in theory, a fire pit isn't as nice as it should be because you really only need it when it's cold. And by the time you're ready to go outside with the fire pit, it's too cold to be outside with the fire pit. So needless to say, we haven't used it much, but we do have one. And most of you who know me know that I'm not... Uh, the most handy person in the world, not the most hands-on person in the world. And so getting that fire pit, you know, going was a little bit of a struggle for me. Now, initially, when I would get it going, I would get one log, and I would think, all right, this thing's going to burn. It says they should burn for two hours. So I'll put a log in there, and it would burn, and then after about 15 minutes, you could barely feel anything. And so I just kept thinking, like, what is wrong with these logs? So I'm buying more expensive logs, thinking, well, it's because I bought the cheap logs that I saw at Walmart. Let me go to Lowe's and get some more expensive ones, only to realize that they're still not burning long enough for us to get warm by it. And so frustrated, I finally, as you know, I'm a YouTube expert. Anything I, I don't know how to do, I go to YouTube in order for it to teach me. And what I learned was that I was making a critical mistake. One log will burn, but it will not burn for long. It is not until you start to add other logs so that the one fire that started by that initial one catches on to the next log, which catches on to the next log, which catches on to the next log, and eventually you will have at least a substantiated fire. Now, one of the things that we have realized in the Christian walk is that as long as we try to be independent of God and independent of others, we are like that singular law, which we may burn initially, but without fellowship with the word, without fellowship with God, without fellowship with one another, we won't burn for long. And so this text opens up here by making us somewhat aware of the growing distance between Saul and God, but also Saul and the other people around him. He has grown in distance from God, but he's also grown in distance away from everyone else, including his own son. Now, Jonathan's mind, as we see in our text, is still on conquering the Philistines. And so he is with his armor bearers here, and they're going to strategize, if possible, the way that they will be able to combat the Philistines. Now, it reports here, though, that he does not tell his dad, Saul, where he went. Now, there is a lot of context to understand this and understand that, 
But we have to remember that anything we see mentioned in the Bible is not mentioned by accident. It is mentioned there on purpose and with intent. Jonathan here is preparing for battle, yet Saul has with him a member of the priestly family, but he doesn't just have any member with him. If you look in the text, I want you to see what lengths the writer here goes to tell you who this person is. First of all, it says that he has, get this, he has Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, which is Ichabod's brother, which is the son of Phineas, you should remember him, which is the son of Eli. And he's wearing an ephod. The author here seems to be making a point, and this is what it seems to be. We remember last week Saul got himself in trouble because he was supposed to wait on the priest before he went up to battle so he could be commissioned, but he didn't do it. And because of that, he grows in even more distance from God. And so it seems like this time around, he doesn't want to make the same mistake that he made last time. And so he brings with him a priest. But the problem is, is that he brings a priest from the family of Eli. Now, we should all remember what happened with them. His sons were doing all types of things, and it was Eli who was not correcting them, who himself was also pilfering meat from the sacrifice that they were giving to God, and he was eating it for himself, so much so that he was a heavy man. And so that family has actually been rejected from the priestly family by God. Yet Saul, in his attempt to do right by God this time around, now has a priest, but it's a priest who has been rejected. He's trying to figure out how to engage with the Philistines, but he's doing it with a less than reputable figure. And his own son is preparing to battle them. But there's a completely different approach that Jonathan takes versus the approach that Saul takes. Look at how it describes it in our text. It says, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's what Jonathan said. His belief here is clearly, fully, and firmly in God and in God's provision. But again... Jonathan never says, says here, but my God will provide. He didn't say that. He says that it may be that the Lord will work for them. And he says, for nothing can stop the Lord. He can save by having many or he can save by having few. Now, when I'm talking here today about independence, I am not just talking about the outright rejection of God, but I'm also talking about when we are only okay with what God is doing that we want him to do. How dependent should we actually be on God? Far more than we already are. None of us in this room is totally trusting God perfectly. And so our struggle is moving to a place and a position where all the areas of our lives that we are not trusting God, that we will learn to lean and depend on him even more. 
In 1 Peter 2 and 2, it says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. How dependent should we be? We should be just like the infant that completely depends on their mother in order to be fed. If they don't depend on the mother, they will die. That's how dependent we need to be on God. I don't make my way. He makes the way. We just sang about it. I am not the sovereign in my life. It must be God. But then let's look at this next thing that Jonathan does in comparison to what Saul did last week. It says, then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. I want you to notice the differences here. We saw last week that instead of waiting on God, Saul got anxious and unlawfully offered the sacrifice. Jonathan, however, takes the position that every single one of us should take in our lives. God, I won't move until you do. I'm not going to do anything until I know that what I'm doing is what you intend for me to do. Y'all, I can break it down to you like this. There are in life, effectively, two positions, only two. You will either... Trust in God or you will trust in yourself. That's it. There is no in between. There is no partially trusting God. There's only wholly trusting in you. And to dumb it down even more for us, you will either be dependent or independent. And you know, it is one of those sneaky little tricks that Satan uses to thwart God's plan and his created order. One of the biggest lies that you will be told, one of the biggest lies that you are being told, is that you need to be independent, that you need freedom. But what does that lead to? It leads to, well, I don't really want to be chained down in a relationship. I want to have relations with whomever I I seek to please. I don't want to be chained chained down by the constructs of societal rules. I want to be whatever I decide I am. If I feel like I'm this today or if I feel like I'm that tomorrow, whatever I decide. And that independence culminates us in us eventually saying, I don't need God and I don't need anybody else. Now, how do we know that independence is really dangerous? Well, what does God say in creation? We studied this this Wednesday, but I want to flesh out a little bit more. When God creates, after he creates everything, he says, and it was good. Everything was good. But there was one thing that was not good. And he told us, after he created Adam, and he's by himself, what does he say? It is not good that man should be alone. 
our cohabitation, our dependence on God and one another is a part of his created order. And when we think that we are good enough and strong enough on our own, we are setting ourselves up for a fall because we are operating out of his created order. God's natural created order, this was before the fall, was that we needed other people and that we needed him. So if before the fall and before sin we needed God and we needed each other, how much more after the fall and after, the, after sin do we need God and do we need each other? Dependence. If you hear nothing else that I say, hear this, especially for us men. Dependence is not weakness. Independence is weakness. Independence is weakness. Because without other people, you are a weak person. You can't do anything. You aren't functional. You aren't reliable. You aren't trustworthy. You're not enjoyable. You need other people. And if you think you don't, then what can other people do with you or for you? Look at this as things continue in verse 16. It says, And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was ta- talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, take away your hand. Then Saul said, and, and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with him into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth Now I want you to notice, you probably missed it, but I want you to notice how erratic Saul's behavior is here. This is clearly a man who is just being led about his feelings, but not being led by his dependence on God. He's being led by his desire to be in charge and make the decision. Initially, once he sees that Jonathan has some success against the Philistines, he summons that priest that had been rejected by God so that he can get God's approval. And so just as the priest is about to offer that sacrifice, Something hits him. He says, take your hand away. In other words, he said, don't worry about it now. When the priest was about to use the instrument to discern God's will, Saul said, you know what? I got this. I can handle it. He didn't want to know God's will because he thought that there was a chance that God's will may not have been what he wanted. And so he took his faith and he put his faith in his own hands. And I'm here to tell you now, the worst place your faith can be is in you. That is the worst place your faith can be. 
That is akin to us saying we need to pray about a decision, getting down on our knees, clasping our hands, bowing our head, closing our eyes and saying, you know what, God, I got it. Don't worry about it. Now, God is good enough here that he rescues them despite Saul's behavior, but his constant reliance on himself is what's going to make him ultimately unreliable. He's an unreliable leader. He is going to make decisions not based off of God's will, but his own. See, what Saul didn't understand and what we need to understand is that God sends difficult things and trials and struggles not so that we can trust in ourselves. Things are not getting hard so that you can realize how strong you are. Things are getting hard so that you can realize how weak you are. You are unable to bear what God is putting on your back. So that myth that they tell you on social media that you're strong and you're bigger and you're more courageous, you're not. You're weak. (laughs) We're all weak. And unless we allow God to bear those burdens instead of us, we will collapse under the weight of life. Now, I would argue that none of us in this room is as strong as Paul was. But I want you to hear his words regarding life. 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. He writes this. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Listen to this. That we despaired of life itself. He said things got so hard for us when we were in Asia, we didn't want to live anymore. Indeed, verse 9, he says, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But why? He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. But then listen to this. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I want you to understand what he's saying here. He's like, when we were in Asia, he said, I thought we were going to die. Things got so rough that I thought we would end up dead. We thought that we had gotten the sentence of life. He says, but then I had an epiphany. God was burdening us so that I wouldn't trust in myself, but so that I would trust in him. But then he says, but I don't just need God. He says, I need y'all too. I need you to pray that we can endure and finish the way that God intends for us to finish. In the midst of all that life brings, we must run to the feet of our Savior, knowing that he has what we need. 
Saul then makes all the men take an oath in his desire for power and independence, it comes to a head. In verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Selfishly, he says that he needed to have himself avenged and that no one could eat until he was. Whoever did not take an oath would normally be commended to God for death. Because if you took an oath, you didn't take an oath before men, you took an oath before God. But in this case, instead of them taking this oath before God, he makes them take the oath before himself. And he says, nobody is going to eat until I get payback on my enemies. Saul's motivations are clear here. He is solely concerned for himself. But his desire for independence ends up affecting all of the lives of the people around him. He is no longer an agent of God, but he is now operating to and for himself. And these decisions literally drive a wedge between him and between God. And it's seen in verse 37. It says, And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God did not answer him that day. Saul has now reached the place that he thought he wanted to be. This is what he thought he wanted. He's been freed. He has had the restraints and the parameters of God removed from around him. And it is just the warning that we get in Romans 1, which is the history when they knew God and they would not acknowledge him as God, he gave them over to themselves. I just said it a minute ago, and it's true. The worst place your faith can be is in your own hand. And contrary to what you may think or feel, the worst thing that can happen is that God frees you from himself. His desire for independence has led to this penultimate moment where he realizes that God is no longer with him. He's been given over to himself. So what is it that we learn here? How do we find Christ in this? Well, first, it is easy to begin well. But finishing well is about remembering what we did in the beginning. If you ever, I'm not a big movie person. I'm not a big superhero movie person at all. I, I actually don't even know the difference between the Marvel and the DC folks and all that. I have no idea. No, no concern about it at all. But I did see one of those Batman movies that came out with Bane. 
and they're fighting, and, you know, Batman whoops up on everybody, and he's having a hard time with Bane, and he's getting kicked. Like, it is, he is having his tail handed to him. And finally, Bane says this thing, and it resonated with me because this has happened to so many people. He tells them, victory has defeated you. What is, now, what does that mean in the life of a believer? We tend to forget that God is the cause of the good things that happen in our lives. Whether it's the marriage we had, whether it's the income we had, whether it's the family, the kids, if all things are going well, what tends to happen with us is that we start to forget that it was God that did it, and we start to think, well, I did this. And so when he says that to him, he meant that his success had caused him to depend more on himself than he should have. Y'all, let this also be the warning to us. All of us know how to trust God when things are tough. All of us know how to trust God when things are difficult. How do you trust God when things are going well? When you have no complaints, when there are no aches, when the bank account is full of money, when everybody feels well, are you trusting God then? In life, we are sometimes going to trust and be totally dependent on God until we have a little success. And then we might think to ourselves that we're the cause of it. We may think that we no longer need God. We must avoid that behavior. That's the first thing. But the second thing that we see here is that for all the failure of Saul and the many other kings that would come after him. There is one king who is taking taking up permanent residence in our lives as the true king who the Bible says can never be dethroned, who that if we depend on him, he will never fail us, and that's Jesus. Even though he was tempted like we are, even though he endured, even though he had to face death. He stood in the face of it all. And he never cowered. He never capitulated. He took up his position as king in our lives. And we can totally and wholly Depend on him. Some people may trust in, you know, we got a new king in England. Some people may put their hope in whatever president, whatever governor, whatever mayor. You can have that. They will fail. Every kingdom that is around now, somebody will come and usurp that throne. But there is one throne that can never be usurped, and that is the throne of Jesus Christ. Christ. And the best place you can be is laying at the feet of that Savior, knowing that if he could bear on his back your sins, then he can handle anything else that you have going on. Don't try to be independent. Be dependent. Be holy and dependent on Christ and Christ alone, and he will not fail you. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the word today. God, it is something that we need to be reminded of because we so quickly, even without knowing it, God, depend on ourselves, depend on our works, depend on our faithfulness and our righteousness, and we see that the success we have is our responsibility. But God, we have to be reminded we did not will ourselves to be born. We do not will ourselves healthy. God, we did not give ourselves the gifts that you've given us. We are totally subjected to the true and lasting king, which is you. God, without you, we are nothing. And we can try as we might to depend on ourselves, but we will utterly fail. We must, God, depend on you. Now, Lord, I realize there may be people in this room who have no idea what the gospel is, what it means, or why they can depend on you. Lord, I pray this is the day that you open their eyes for them to see that we were all born here at odds with you. Every single one of us was born here with a sin debt, and God, we cannot pay it. We do not have enough money in our spiritual bank accounts to pay off our sin debt. And so the payment for that debt is that we must die. There's no other alternative except that you came down in flesh. Having no sin, you bore on your back our sin so that we would be saved. And you paid the final payment for our sins so that we would have eternal life. But God, if we reject that sacrificial offering, then we will have to be that sacrifice. And the only alternative is that we would have to spend an eternity in hell separated from you. God, it's better for us just to depend on you. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that you would open their eyes, open their ears to the word of God, and that this would be the day that they would come into saving faith. And, Lord, for all of us who are here who know you, I pray that this as well would be the day if we have been trusting in ourselves or trusting in things that will fail us, that we recalibrate our lives and put all of our trust, all of our faith, all of our hope firmly and finally in you, knowing that you will never fail, you will never let us down. Lord, be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.